Well, I'm going to start today. I know we're doing the book of Revelation, but I want to start from one of the Gospels. And uh, uh, for, you, for those of you who have joined us on the way, we've been doing um, chapters of the book of Revelations. The Revelation, sorry. And uh, we've been uh, dealing with some difficult subjects. And today, I think it's light in the end of the tunnel because we've come to chapter 15 and chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. But before we go there, I just wanted to start with an, the, an incident when Jesus was with his disciples. If you open your Bibles in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read from verses 13 onwards, but Jesus is in Caesarea in Philippi, and he is asking the disciples about himself. So he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? So these are the guys that he has had around him for, for, for some time now. And he just wants to, to really... So verse 13 is, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? I love Peter. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, gates of hell, will not overcome it. And what we see in the book of Revelation, it's a continuation of God's promise through Jesus to Peter in his economy of dealing with the world. That he will continue to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, no matter how miserable, how gruesome, how awful the situation looks when you read from chapters 8 onwards, really, about the, the, the tragedies that happen in this, in this calamity of over, overturning of this God's wrath on, on, and judgment on the evil. So this is the stepping stone that, that we were starting, that let's not forget. And Colin, could I ask that we have the last slide throughout the sermon, because I, I feel that that's, um, I, I have the same sense when Aaron said, can we think a little bit? I thought, no, we need to have this in the background throughout the whole sermon. So one of the things that I miss when, I'm he, well, when I've lived here, or um, as I live here, is that you cannot tell very well when there is a storm coming. If you're in Albania, and especially in the summer, and I, I know that we've got visitors from the U.S. as well, uh, there are signs, actually. You can sense, you can, 
in Albania we say you can smell the storm because especially in the summer you know when it's really, really going to, to be, the, the, the heavens are going to be open with rain and lightning and thunder and I've seen very little of that here. But what, what, what I wanted to say is that actually what's happening here is that we're getting a smell. We're getting this sense that there is this storm coming. And from chapter 8 onwards, we've seen these seven sets of things that are going to be come on earth. And although there are different suggestions that, you know, there is, there is a, 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 a train of thought that thinks that actually these seven, you know, we talked about the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then today we're going to talk about the seven bowls, that they're consecutive, and they happen one on the other. There is another train of thought that thinks that actually the seven is the number of completion, and therefore... By revealing the sevens, you're seeing whatever is going on from different angles, but you're referring to the same thing. And personally, I'll probably tend to be thinking of the latter one, that I think that there is seven of completion, and with the seven seals opening up, we're seeing from one angle, with the seven trumpets um, blowing, and we're seeing a different angle. And then now with the seven bowls, we're seeing a different angle of the same thing. And I would say that actually in this sevens kind of unfolding, we're, we're seeing also that there is an intensity. And I would say that perhaps the focus of the seven bowls, before we read them, would be more to do with near the time of the second coming of the Savior. So these seven things kind of grab a whole length of time between the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the second coming. And we are kind of seeing glimpses of symbolism of how severe and how real the activity of evil is on earth. So here we are. Chapter 15 is the quick, well, it's the quickest chapter to read, but also it's the shortest to read in the book of Revelation. And um, it's, it starts... I'll wait for people to have their Bibles. Chapter 15, it says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath was completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who have been victorious over the beast and his image, over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of all ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. 
for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's stop here. So here we've got this great picture of faithful people of God coming to this place. Look at verse 2. It says, those who had been victorious over the beast. Those who have been victorious over the, the image and over the, his name. This is talking about people of victory. And when, when I really think of this, and I know that we've got it on our Finding Our Groove Prayers, is standing there behind the coffee, um, um, behind the, the, the cafe area. I know that we talk about this victorious living, but sometimes I think we, we talk about it without meaning, and we cotton wool it. Because over and over again, you see that in the book of Revelation, and throughout the Bible, and in our life as discipleship, there is no victory without sacrifice. There is no victory without sacrifice. Look at what they had to go through in chapters 11, 12, and 13. And yet, they said no. What does this mean for us? They said, no, we're going to follow God. What does that remind you of? My, my mind immediately goes to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they, they are asked to, to bow down before this figure, and, and the king says, if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown in the furnace of fire. And they say, no, we're not going to bow down. Our God is going to protect us. And even if he may not protect us, we still will not bow down. Go and have a look at the story. We did it with, with the teenagers at Foundation two weeks ago. It's fascinating. Even though he may not protect us, we still are not going to bow our knees to the statue. Sacrifice. And we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they come out of the furnace, which was really enforced, and it was really um, seven times much stronger um, flames coming in, um, and then they come really untouched from the fire, because the Son of Man was in the furnace with them. So, discipleship, this call to be disciples of Jesus... Is calling us, is calling out us to live victoriously for Him, but that comes with a price. And I think sacrifice is, is, is something that actually we, we want to look at as a church in the West. I think sacrifice is something that we ought to look at as a church who lives in Westbury Park. What does it mean to live sacrificially? Does it mean that we live out of our plentiful 
Or does it mean that we leave out of our sacrifice? That we, 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 and it doesn't, and I'm not talking here about the financial things. I think it's, it's, it's across board. It has to do with finance, it has to do with time, it has to do with, with things that we really hold very dear to us. What does that mean for us as a church to live, or as, and as individuals, to live sacrificially? But it's very clear here. The crowd that stands beside the crystal sea is a crowd that has come out living victoriously and sacrificially for the Lamb. And they've got a song, which is a very unique song, because it, un- it encompasses both the Old and the New Testament. They've got the song of Moses, the triumphant outcome of them walking through the Red Sea. And also, they've got the song of the Lamb, which is the same song. Now, in Albania, we have a big problem. We have translated a lot of songs from the West. And one of the things that is really interesting is that in each church that you go, you can sing the same song but translated in different versions. So there is no continuity of the same word. And uh, there have been several attempts to, to kind of reform that, but it has not been successful. It's amazing what goes on in a little community of churches like Albania, that you can even reform the whole idea of, let's have one song that we can all sing together. No, it's the same song, but... People have chosen to translate different lines differently. It's amazing. And I just want to throw that in the mix. Because what is unique here is that it's the same song. And it's not translated differently. It's a song of triumph. Yes? Them coming out of the Red Sea. And yes, with the song of the Lamb coming out of actually Egypt and coming out of the slavery of sin and despair and encountering the salvation of Jesus. This is the song that they've got in their mouths. The song of Moses. The song that actually, you you can read it, it's in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Exodus chapter 15, Deuteronomy 32. It's the same kind of theme. Great, marvelous are your deeds, Lord Almighty. You are just and true are your ways. King of all ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. It's amazing. This song that is, it's, it's, it's really brings all the history of the old and the new together. And they're able to sing it. They're able to come to that place of recognizing that actually, in the midst of despair, in the midst of what you read in all those chapters, the tragedies and the, 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 the way that evil is being dealt with, the way that this rebellion is being dealt with, still... God 
You are there. You are marvelous and your deeds are just and true. And I will stand with you on higher ground. On Christ the solid rock I will be found. And for eternity sing out my soul. Nothing but grace. Your grace alone. And I really, really wish that the people of Israel were able to keep to keep that song going. But again, they kept in rebellion and God kept coming to them until He brought Jesus. And Jesus is reaching out to the whole world. There we are. The song that they are singing here, it's talking about actually that God is being just. And he's true to his word. And what's, what we read here is going to really be true to God's character. Just. He's full. He's God of righteousness. He's God of justice. And he, he doesn't mess around with that. He's true to his word. He's true to what he said. He's true to his promises. So this, this kind of judgment that is, is being come, is, is coming to the world, is coming to the earth, is, is reflecting the nature of God. And can you imagine what's going on here? Just imagine for those people, and even today, who have really been mistreated, who have been really waiting for their justice to become, because it's not fair. And the message that we got, we're getting here is that God is in control. And He is just. And He is true to His word. The nature of judgment is just and true are your ways. True in the sense of the moral line. You can't mess around with it. But also there is another element of this nature of God's judgment. That is final. Do you know what? God has got his last word. That's why Jesus says, we're going to read it later on when we do the next two sessions with, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. Hasn't he said that in the beginning of the book of Revelation? These are the words that he reassured John and the recipients of the letter. Remember, don't lose sight of who I am. Let's not lose sight of being God-gazers. Who he is. Who he is. Lovely, true, just, glorious. And then we've got the recipients of this judgment. And although the language here is quite symbolic, it's very strong. And I think it's, 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 it's being written for people who, who, who really want to get on with God, but also want to get on with God's kingdom. So when we read this book, when we read these chapters, what I want to encourage you and what I want to encourage myself is that we look and we say, 
that there is an emergency element in us wanting and ushering and bringing and preaching God's kingdom. Being the bearers and the proclaimers of the good news. There is no time to lose. Because you look, you look at these judgments, you look at chapter 15 and chapter 16, three or four times it says that they listened to the message, but they didn't repent. Second time, I think it's verse, um, I've got it here. If you go in, in, in chapter 16, verse 9, verse 11, and verse 21. Verse 21 is an even more awful because it says they cursed God. And we've got the best message. We've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why I, I really get passionate about this because we've started Alpha. And it's been really difficult to, 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 to get it going. And I know that the battle is bigger than that. But still, let's, church, let's not lose sight. Let's pray for people. Let's pray for people that we love, people that we care for, people that we want to see and experience God's bountiful kingdom. This is serious stuff. So we talked a little bit about the nature. We talked a little bit about the recipients. And actually, you think, well, but this is not where I am this morning. This is not where I am. It seems a million miles away to the concerns and the things that I have got to do. I want to be a little bit controversial today and I just want to say that perhaps that is an excuse that we can put. Do you remember when Jesus says to his disciples Satan has desired that you have or may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And perhaps you are in that place of distraction, that you're being distracted, you've got other things on your plate, and I don't want to undermine that, actually. But please, let's look at this idea of God actually drawing our attention to say that His kingdom Christ, the solid rock that you will be found, is important still today. Although it's really tough. Although it's hard going. But still, there is a message of hope there that we've got, you and I have got, not only when we open this church during the week, but that we can take with us into our workplace, into our schools, in the way that we raise our children, into our families into our neighborhoods. And then, it's not only the nature of the judgment, it's not only the recipients of the judgment, but it's got effects. And I think this is where it becomes really hard. 
Because down deep within us, I know that each and every one of us want for our loved ones, for our neighborhoods, for people to come to Jesus. How do we do this? And I I want to encourage us this morning that although the message of Revelation is that message of triumphant and victorious which is mixed up with a picture of really gruesomeness and hard things going on. I think, I really want to say this because I think prayer is one thing that we have not grasped as a church. And I don't want to say this to tell people off, and this is not my chance, I'm on the mic, and it's a moment of power to tell people off. But I'd love to see our church community be more united in prayer. Um, This week we had the prayer week and there was a small number of us who were able to come. And again, don't get me wrong, this is not a guilt trip moment because I'm as guilty as you are. But I'm just thinking that what difference, what great opportunity it will make if we as church as brothers and sisters, made that prayer opportunity a priority. We've got Dayspring that meets regularly. I think it's the first and the third Sunday of the month from 9 o'clock till 10 o'clock. And I've I've got a longing. I want for us to be more prayerful. I want for us to be more considerate about actually what what I've come up with a few months ago. Because I really see that in order for us to be in tune with God's heart, we need to be prayerful. What does that look like for us? And what does that have to do anything with what we're reading in chapter 15 and 16? I think it has to do. Because somehow... We are part of this God's plan of building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm up for that challenge actually. I'm up for that challenge because I know that God's in God's economy, the way that he's going to reach out to the lost and broken world is through his church. Are you up for it? Are you up for it? So, we've been challenged this morning about victory and sacrifice. We've been challenged about prayerful attitudes individually and corporately. And we've been challenged also about the whole idea that as much as we want to live our own lives and everything is 
okay in the 21st century, there is an element of urgency of sharing the good news of Jesus. The response is up to the people that receive this good news. Our responsibility is faithfulness in our stewardship of the good news.